0: This is the Only Human podcast from Community Radio 4 Z, out of Brisbane, Australia. And it's time now for an interview that I did recently with Brian Craddock, who's a storyteller of several mediums, including prose, comics, poetry, film and puppetry. He's also done three videos, which are reviews of Brisbane's goth scene and co-directed Everyday Devils and Angels. He's just recently published a book called Eucalyptus Goth about, I think it might be (laughs) semi-autobiographical. I talked to him about his book and his experiences as a goth in Brisbane and also his conquering his mental health problems. Congratulations on the release of your new book, Eucalyptus Goth. Can you tell us a little bit about your writing career? Uh, Well, my writing
1: career is relatively new, to be honest. I did work for a long time as a puppeteer and that's how I would sort of tell stories but I have, I've, I've always written prose uh, and it's only in the last maybe five years that I've actually been a published author and it began with an anthology based on Clive Barker's Nightbreed World.
0: Oh, I love Clive Barker.
1: Yeah, likewise. I like his style of writing as well. I feel quite spoiled in that when I was very young I, I read a lot of Clive Barker. That influenced the way that I, I wrote but The recent book was actually um, not inspired by his writing style at all. It was probably Clive Barker that actually got me into writing him him or uh, Lovecraft.
0: So I thought it was about
1: time that uh, my own novel came out.
0: Yeah, and did it take you a long time to write it?
1: The novel took a year and a half to write, um, and, and I almost wrote it exclusively at night after work and on weekends took a little bit of time off over Christmas time not to celebrate Christmas but in fact work on a film. And then I started the editing process which took I think it was about five months um, to format it, edit it all that sort of stuff and and it was a bit of a nightmare phase. So I had to flee to Japan for two weeks during
0: that. (laughs) Editing (laughs) is always a nightmare.
1: (laughs) It is, isn't it?
0: So I I was noticing that one of your themes is your own mental health and mental health issues in general in your writing. Why is that so important yeah. for you?
1: The theme of mental health is important to me both personally and, and socially as well, because I, I just think there's so much of it in the world. Um, there's there's so many you know issues with people. And, and I don't mean just sort of with um, people having a mental illness either, but I mean, just people in general are, are finding it more and more difficult to socialise, I think. And... That could be stemming from undiagnosed mental conditions. There's also degrees of, of illness within people. So someone might have depression but it, and it's acute, but it may not be maybe as acute as somebody else. And I think the same thing with so many other conditions and you can find that those can um, surface in, in someone's behaviour and someone's life. So they sort of do need to be addressed. I myself never had any issues addressing it and so quite early on I was able to tackle the way that I behaved in life and with people and not that it ever really um, kind of went away, those issues, but, but at least I was able to sort of face up to them and I think a lot of people can't. I used to see a psychiatrist and I said to him one day I was complaining about, you know, humans, the way that they behave, the way that they treat me, etc. And he told me a story about how he was out with his wife at a restaurant and some guy came up to the window and just pulled his pants down and started rubbing himself all over the window. <laughs> and And he said, in all probability, there could be, you know, there's obviously something wrong with that person. Mm. They're, they're not functioning properly, but they're, he said that they're probably also um, in denial about it. They probably just think their behavior is funny when in actual fact, there's something a bit sort of disturbing about it. And when I look around the world particularly today, you know, 2017, I I see a lot of that. I see a lot of people acting irrationally and and disturbingly and passing it off as just kind of um, normal behaviour, and it's not. There's something wrong with them. (laughs) So I think the more that we talk about it, the the less we sort of apply a stigma to it, the more likely we are to address it, like within ourselves.
0: Mm.
1: There's not a lot you can do about other people sometimes, you know, he could have gone out, my, my psychiatrist could have gone outside and said to this guy, listen, you know, don't be exposing yourself. He might have got attacked. He might have got laughed at. The guy might have just shrugged and walked away. It's probably not a lot he could have done about that particular guy. But if he himself had have responded in some irrational way, then, it, then he does actually have a chance to address that at least. And if we were all doing that with ourselves, then suddenly it wouldn't, you know, be a problem. Socially, I find it quite
0: important to look at you, you raised the issue there of uh, the normality of things whether it's they're socially acceptable has got to do with it how normal well, how normal people would behave and what yeah. your example there obviously that's not how normal people would behave uh, but um, like you say you know if we see politicians and other people uh, who are in the news and whatever behaving irrationally that makes that level of irrationality more normal which is kind of scary isn't it
1: yeah and, and it does and the, the the funny thing with the word, um, when we say, you know, normal, etc. people start banding about this idea of what is normal and stuff like that. Yeah. And I get quite irritated with that kind of talk. We're not trying to look into things and, and say, well, you know, everything has its own place and stuff, because it doesn't. It just really doesn't. That's why we have psychiatrists and medication. These people are brave enough to actually face up to the fact that they're not functioning well. The, the way that you know you're not functioning well is that you you look at your own life and perhaps you're not happy about it. Or the people in your own life aren't happy with the way that you're behaving. And that's actually how you identify that problem. And people, I think, who are in denial, there's a sort of a sheer arrogance that comes with that, that they're unable to say, well, I can see you're quite upset with the way that I'm behaving towards you, but I think you're just, um, you know, too sensitive. You're you're unable to perhaps cope with certain truths in life or whatever. Mm -hmm. When in actual fact, they're just being a pig.
0: It does require a great deal of insight into yourself, doesn't it?
1: It does, yeah, it does. I mean, there are people in the mental health sector who don't have that insight at all and who are getting help for that because they also operate on a a level whereby they can't really look after themselves and so then they have people to kind of um, take over that aspect of their lives and the degree, like the mental degree to which they're unable to cope with themselves, they readily allow that. But there are so many people who hold jobs, hold licences for driving a car, who go and do their own shopping, who get married, and they daily operate towards their fellow human beings in a really um, foul manner.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, you could sort of say, oh, well, that's just behavioural, that's just the way they want to do it, they think they can get away with it. But I think there's actually something wrong with them, to be honest. And in my book, there's a lot of that. I present a lot of characters who are they they behave towards one another in really antisocial ways sometimes they think it's funny and they're all different stratas of society these characters some of them are lawyers some of them are unemployed living on the streets stuff like that so there's a whole strata and they're all behaving towards one another in quite demeaning ways and very subtly i'm sort of suggesting that there's something wrong with all of these people which we encounter through the goodness of some of the other characters. You know, they they don't cope with these kind of predatory kind of characters. One of the central characters, he has borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And, and he talks about it quite a lot. He's quite self-aware and he goes to a psychiatrist. He gets locked into a, a hospital. But a lot of the other characters, they um, don't address their issues. But by the time you finish the book, you're quite aware that there is something going on in their heads as well.
0: So I don't know if you want to talk to me about this, but um, how has being diagnosed as having a personality disorder affected your life?
1: Uh, In a funny way, I guess it's improved it. When I I look back at my younger self, to people around me, I was quite likeable, but I was difficult. My family would sort of say to people that, you know, I was difficult to live with, and, and sometimes people found it really hard to understand that because they thought I was funny, quite entertaining. But that's just sort of one side to a person, you know. There's, mm. there's a whole, That's just, you know, like it's like the tip of the iceberg. And for someone with borderline personality disorder, it doesn't always show. Uh, and then when things do get difficult, that's when you know when it does show. And the personality disorders are interesting because I think for a long time they weren't really sort of considered as sort of valid illnesses. Yeah. I think now they are. They call them clusters. Cluster A cluster B. I come under cluster B, which is um, the personality disorders, and the cluster A are the schizoid personality disorders. They're quite similar to schizophrenia, Yeah. whereas mine is sort of more about a, it's like a lost identity, Um, it's a fear of rejection, and it manifests in really ugly ways. We become quite self-loathing, which in turn leads us to become quite self-destructive, and to our loved ones, it, it makes us look like we're being quite manipulative or dramatic or unreasonable and their behaviour then feeds back into the way that we're thinking about ourselves which exacerbates it before you know it, you've got an uncontrollable situation.
0: Yes, I've worked as a counsellor where pretty much all of my clients had borderline personality disorder and all of them had experienced some kind of trauma in their lives. Is that what happened to you?
1: Um, I guess maybe. Uh, I don't really look back on my childhood as traumatic Mm -hmm. but if I was to probably lay it out there you might say it was we moved around a lot like a lot which my psychiatrist thought was the crux of my condition but there was other stuff that happened I I remember some violence some towards me but I remember other stuff people covered head to toe in blood and stuff like that Um, that sounds
0: like a trauma to me because
1: I look back on it as just kind of It was an interesting thing to see, but I guess it's how you absorb it.
0: Yeah, and what you're used to, I guess. So your book is about goths, okay? Goths in Queensland, which is a horrible place to be a goth. Were you actually a goth in your teenage years?
1: No, not my teenage years. I was in my 20s. One of the interesting things about um, personality disorders and people on the spectrum and things like that, I've noticed that they develop later. So I kind of went through that goth phase I started it, I think, later than a lot of people tend to. I went through it in my 20s. I was living homeless. Uh, I came down to Brisbane, just sort of got introduced to the scene through a friend who wasn't a goth and then, um, yeah, fell into it that way. The book's characters are goth. It's set against the goth scene in Brisbane, but it's written in a way that it's accessible to people who weren't part of the scene and don't really know anything about goth. There's going to be bits where they'll need to gloss over because they're not quite sure what's going on, but uh, pretty much it's a book about people trying to get along with one another, explore all those issues of youth like race and sex and drugs and homelessness and um, mental illness and all that sort of stuff.
0: Mm. Are you saying there's some insider goth jokes in there that we won't get? <laughs>
1: there, are, there are a few, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: sounds a great. Couple, a,
1: a couple of them I kind of explain. You know, The, the book's written first-person narrative, they do sort of um, explain the joke. I say they because it's actually multi-narrative.
0: Given that you're doing so well in your life and you're getting ahead with your projects, do you have any advice to people out there who might be having a hard time who are listening to this interview?
1: The the thing is that you, you need to look at... Well, you need to look at two different things. First of all, you're just in the here and the now. And here and the now m- might stretch to two weeks, it might stretch to two years, but it's not forever. Mm-hmm. And eventually you can change things. You can change things quite dramatically too. A lot of people won't, um, which is going to lead me to my second point in a moment. But yeah, it's two years from now, you don't need to be the person you are now. You can just literally drop what you're doing now and do something different and you might find that the hardships you have now aren't the same as you know, what they are down the track. You might have, you'll always have a hardship. We we almost can't not have them. Mm. If we don't have them, we probably create them for ourselves.
0: How boring would but, life be if we didn't have them? <laughs>
1: exactly. But um, my psychiatrist told me a story once about a client of his who was manic depressive. He had a family. He had a, an amazing job here. He had a big house. And he got the idea into his head one day to go to America, but didn't tell anyone, didn't tell his wife, didn't tell his kids, <laughs> didn't tell his boss. He just got on a plane, Pat, like took a suit and got on a plane and went to, I think it was the west coast of America. And he started up this massive company. Um, and within six months, apparently, was like a multimillionaire as a result of it. And then the mania stopped and, he, and the depression set in and... Apparently, within two weeks, the company had just gone bust. People <laughs> lost their jobs. The government found out who he was. They deported him back to Australia because he was now a vagrant. And he went to my psychiatrist, and this is going to sound quite, quite almost quite horrible to some, some listeners, but he went to my psychiatrist and he said to him, I've, I've hit rock bottom, I don't you know, I don't know. What do and my psychiatrist said? Well, you haven't hit rock bottom because suicide is rock bottom, mm. death. And he said the guy bounced back. And my psychiatrist explained it because the guy had been a client of his for years. He knew the guy didn't have um, suicidal thoughts or tendencies, but he knew that the guy needed a way to realize that he could push away from the bottom because he hadn't quite reached it. From that, the guy actually saw a glimmer of hope and his mania was able to kind of, well, maybe not mania, maybe he just kind of realised that he, he could actually get something back because he, he already had something and that was life. The idea of the story is to let people know that no matter how you feel now, as long as you hang in later on down the track, it, it just will possibly be different.
0: There's one thing that um, you can say about life is that it's constantly changing.
1: Exactly, mm. yep. yeah. So, so
0: last of all, of course, we want to help you sell your book. <laughs> can you tell us where people can get hold of it?
1: Yeah, the book is um, it's available online on Amazon, but it's also available on Book Depository and they do free shipping for Australia.
0: You are listening to the Only Human podcast. Only Human is a weekly program on social justice, disability rights, psychology, social research and mental wellness. You can listen in Brisbane on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM and set digital on DAB Plus radios. Love community media? You can support 4ZZZ by subscribing or making a donation at 4ZZZFM.org.au.